This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Inspiring Design with yours truly. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge. Our goal here is to be the missing link between education, design, and the industry. And today we have a very special guest to speak about artificial intelligence within the construction industry. So let's welcome Alex Ferguson. And um, I'll give you a little bit of background on Alex. He's a degree qualified aerospace engineer with an executive MBA from the Australian Graduate School of Management. He's passionate about technology and enjoys using and helping people and organizations implement business improving solutions. As a registered project manager, he has experience across a broad range of infrastructure, buildings, and mission-critical systems with experience delivering data intelligence, including machine learning and artificial intelligence solutions for SMEs. He's worked in the Queen's Wharf projects, the biggest projects that's going around at the moment, as, as a part of the state development and is simply a wealth of knowledge. So Alex, welcome to Inspiring Design. Thanks for having me. Can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, I mean, you've um, introduced me quite well there. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I went to aerospace engineering, uh, sort of studied that at University of Queensland uh, quite some time ago. Um, and at the same time, I studied a bachelor's degree in, in Chinese and I spent uh, pretty much most of my career working in civil infrastructure, buildings, mission, mission critical uh, data centers, that sort of um, that sort of space, and um, spent uh, about five to seven years overseas working in Asia in in those different uh, market verticals. Um, probably interestingly, um, over the last five to ten years, you'll have seen a significant trend towards a more digital approach to engineering, architecture, and construction, uh, looking at how we can leverage. Uh, information to make better decisions um, and so I kind of pivoted my career some time ago into into that particular space around sort of being able to to perform data analytics you know machine learning uh, generative design um, uh, using sort of more advanced algorithms for trying to get better outcomes in a shorter amount of time yeah um, and that's led to um, you know, me being uh, sort of leading a digital innovation hub for an engineering firm in Singapore uh, and more recently joining a digital advisory firm uh, where we're building products that sort of uh, target that those different markets. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, and I think this is why you're the right man for the job. When um, I was sitting in one of your presentations a few months back um, and you mentioned some incredible things on how this the, all these digital technologies are going to transform the the almost the environment that we know in the construction industry. So, on that note, what do you how do you define AI? Like, what is it? Just off the top, at a high level, before we go into the construction industry, what is AI? Yeah, interesting question. Um, 
So I think you can get a lot of different definitions depending on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, AI in principle is um, you know, a computer piece of computer software or an algorithm uh, whose purpose really is to replace the decision-making that an ordinary human being would, uh, would ordinarily perform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things that uh, you've learned over time how to, for instance, recognize a cat or a dog mm. um, by what you're looking at because you've seen thousands and thousands of images of that uh, the cats and dogs in all different variations throughout your life as you're growing up. Yeah, um, you've been able to recognize um, those those animals, and similarly, you know what's a chair and a table and that sort of thing. So when we talk about AI in the context of vision. Um, it's really uh, not just these days about being able to categorize what um, what something is in a photo or even in a video but also identifying the parts of that video that uh, correspond to a, a specific uh, type of entity you know mm -hmm. whether it's a cat or a dog or a table or a car or whatever um, so AI essentially is, is trying to replace that human um, sort of recognition uh, capability there in the computer vision. Um, and the same things are happening in voice too. Mm. So for instance, being able to detect uh, what you're in, you know, the tone of your voice. Um, are you happy or sad just based on the tone? You know, mm. ordinarily humans can you know, get pretty adept at you know, understanding that someone's angry at me because they're shouting or yeah. someone's uh, unhappy, you know, because they have, um, you know, a certain tone to their voice. Um, and then, you know, progressing also in that voice space is about um, being able to recognize exactly what people are saying mm. uh, and converting that into an intent, like understanding from the words that are spoken, what does that person actually mean? And therefore, off the back of that, being able to build some software that could um, respond to that in one way or another. Um, so, so AI is just a little bit, um, you know, you would say more advanced from traditional data analytics, mm -hmm. you know, and it's beyond, you know, it's in the realm of data science where you're applying, um, you know, a large volume of information collected mm -hmm. um, as a, you know, as a resource that is used to train in AI. Um, and what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, the more data that you gather about something, um, the potentially the better an AI you can create. Yep. Um, also, the more computing power you need in order to take all of that data and crunch mm. it and learn from that. And an AI is quite interesting because it learns the same way that we learn yep. in the sense of maybe not exactly the same way, but um, you, know, you feed it enough information for it to start to learn um, you know, that what decisions and how to make those decisions um, mm. based on the data that's provided to it. Um, so you do a lot of training, you know, you think about your life, you spend uh, a, a large portion of your life, you know, pre two or three years old learning about, you know, the world around you without actually even saying anything. Yeah. And then someday, one day you start actually talking. And so AI is really kind of in that early stages of, you know, your development is a human development recognizing the world around it uh, through the data that's provided and then being able to make some decisions from that, you know, like, uh, sort of like I've already said, yeah. Yeah, no, and while you were speaking actually, because we get a lot of teachers and, and, and students listening on this, what the image that formed in my mind was from the second Avengers movie, Ultron, I'm not sure if you've seen that. And I have, yeah. They have that Jarvis, when when he becomes a globe and and the holographic version of what Jarvis looked like and what Ultron looked like, 
it's almost that's what painted in my mind while you were talking there and um, it's kind of scary that we're headed towards what was once fiction it's, it's coming and becoming a reality now and what's well, re- interesting you picked that particular movie because I was sitting in um, in a in a video conference um, about four or five years ago with mm-hmm. a good colleague of mine down in down in Melbourne um, and we were talking about Jarvis and we're talking about particularly a scene in the movie where um, Robert Downey Jr. is asking Jarvis to um, do some some ordinary task like is I this think, when he's prototyping the first Iron Man suit uh, I think it was more the one where he was actually reviewing the plans that his dad had created for so Iron Man 2 yeah yes yeah and um, part of that part of that scene he's there sort of telling Jarvis oh you know remove this and remove this and sort of stripping that that design that his father had yep. down into its bare raw um, raw ingredients and you know parts and then was able to realize that you know, this is a design for a new sort of power source, right? Yeah. Um, well, it was in that particular video we were talking about, you know, all of the things that were actually happening mm. in that video. So we had uh, Robert Downey Jr., um, you know, Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark saying to Jarvis, what a, you know, remove X, Y, Z. And Jarvis then had to interpret that and into uh, an actual intent, mm-hmm. understand the objects that were involved in that intent, and then perform some actions based on that. Um, and as we went through it, I said to I said to my colleague, "Look, actually, we can do that right now. Like, we can build Jarvis mm. for engineering. Yeah. And in fact, over over the next few weeks, you know, I said to my wife, "Could you buy me an Alexa for my birthday <laughs> yeah. so that I can actually just." go and program I'm going to teach myself how to program Alexa yeah. to understand my intent yeah. as a starting point um, and then I have another piece of software that plugs into you know Revit uh, which is a 3D design tool for buildings uh, and construction and you know it, that can actually control that platform so now I can connect my Alexa to my uh, to Dynamo this software which connects to Revit which wow. then leads to that and it's like well why would we do that um, might be because in the future we're going to move away from using desktops and um, you know screens mm. to design things and into the virtual world mm. where we can sculpt not just sculptures but buildings and infrastructure in 3D in that environment and it makes sense to us because we're used to using our hands right um, so we need to have you know all of those different pieces in place mm. to be able to do that and we've got the vr technology today and you you know in the space of a month or so we put up a proof of concept and it was quite a really interesting project actually. Yeah. yeah and that's the important thing like i think you know a software like revit or archicad or or any of these cad and bim programs mm. they're becoming so complex and it's almost a 10-year, 15-year learning curve to get very proficient at it to, to be able to run a project or be a BIM manager. Oh, exactly. And and so students almost, if they don't have the exposure to, to this in high schools, it's going to be they're almost like they're five years behind when it comes to their colleagues who had that exposure at school. Now, if you can talk to it through an AI system, then that complexity almost doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's you're utilizing that through your design intent. So I love that. And actually, the more and more the complex the program becomes, there's a point of no return where we can't actually learn all of it. We need to be able to use it as a tool 
And if it's, I love the fact that you use Alexa for that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty and, cool. and natural language processing, which is what the technology behind Alexa. Yeah. Um, that's going to fundamentally change how we interact with technology. Mm. You know, you think the way Siri has already started to do that. Um, how um, you know, uh, OK Google and all those other sort mm. of Alexas and so on are, are sort of filling that gap. Um, and I, like, I'd even go so far as to say that. You know, the platforms that we use today in terms of the design tools we use, they're going to be extremely different in five or ten years' time. Yeah. Um, so it's not so much, you know, and there is a significant amount of training required to use those platforms. Um, um, but in addition to that, I think where the future will go, particularly with AI, is uh, knowing how to use those more advanced tools to get what you want mm. um, and do it in a, in a, in a quicker way. Yeah. Um, and particularly if you're doing anything that's kind of repetitive, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the time you see in the industry today, people just, you know, being the, being the person who sits there and, the, you know, pumps out exactly the, the same design over and over again. Yeah. Um, we're going to shift away from that to uh, you know a, an environment where people are more setting the rules for design and, and engaging with the client and understanding um, you know the client needs and translating that into here are constraints that sort of define how the AI might go about doing a particular mm. task. Yeah. Um, so it's that sort of top-down you know algorithmic type sort of thinking yeah. that is really going to lead the industry. Yeah. And I think that's what leads me to the next question as well, because this is what got me thinking when sitting in your presentation was how are these roles going to change? Now, we've already kind of touched based on, you know, Revit and what this looks like in the future. What do you think within the AEC, the construction industry, what it's going to look like in the five, next 5, 10, 20 years, how we run projects, what we do? At a high level, before we go into the details of what each role and how they're going to evolve, at a high level, how do you think this is going to change the industry? Yeah, it's interesting because when we talk about AI, you quite often hear people saying, oh, it's going to decimate jobs. Right? <laughs> like, let's, yeah. be, let's be upfront. Right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what, there's this immediate reaction to automation yeah. of any kind in yeah. industry. And that... And that fear of automation goes all the way back to, you know, when the production lines were being set up for cars and when uh, the typeset machines were being thrown out of the, you know, the press offices mm. so that they could start using typewriters and so forth. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that at every step of those that in, in our evolution, it's created different jobs. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and not less, but typically more than previously we had. They're mm. just in different areas and different capabilities. Yeah. Um, what I can't stress enough to people who are sitting in engineering today and learning about you know different software packages or you know, learning how to do things in one way or another is that um, the way that they're doing it right now is going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some things that I think. Uh, will take longer to to be replaced will be the human interactions the uh, the design thinking the approach to how you you know how you have empathy with clients um, so more so less the the technical aspects um, because the technical aspects are going to continue to change yeah um, but more of sort of the emotional aspects of managing projects managing people 
managing outcomes. Uh, so those client-facing roles uh, will continue to have significant uh, importance, particularly going forward. Yeah. But where I see in the technical space things changing is that you know, right now you have um, a lot of large engineering firms and they've become large through, uh, through mergers and acquisitions, for example, where you have a vast you know, pool of resources that you can throw at projects and those resources, those people um, are very specialist in their, mm. in their capabilities. Over the next five to 20 years, um, you know, those capabilities are going to end up being replaced by computers in one way or another. And we see that with lawyers right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, when you graduated law, uh, you know, five years ago, um, the next step you would go and do your article clerks, right? Uh, but now you've got um, IBM Watson who can mm-hmm. go and search through all of the different articles and find the relevant, um, you know, find the relevant mm. case law that relates to your particular case for you. So, you know, asking a graduate to go and do that seems a bit of a waste of time, right? Mm. So now what are we going to get those people to do? <laughs> right? They've got to do something else yep. if they want to. Yep. Um, and so now, you know, the next level would be, okay, teaching students how to use IBM Watson, how to program IBM Watson to go and get the resources and to build off of that, mm. to build new products and services that sort of leverage off that. Um, and I actually... In that particular example, I had a conversation with my wife. Sorry about um, uh, about this particular topic uh, mm. over the weekend. I was saying, you know, maybe in the end there's no lawyers. Maybe in the end the algorithms know all of the prior case law, and they can just argue amongst themselves about, <laughs> about which one's right. You yeah, know? And wow. So no more judges, no more no more lawyers. I mean, sorry if you're a lawyer, maybe that's <laughs> going to happen. Maybe it's not. We could be fifty years away from that, mm. but. Um, but the same goes to accounting and the same goes to engineering. Mm. Is that those things that are, um, if you think about engineering as a prime example for automation, is the fact that a lot of what engineers do today is standardized mm-hmm. through Australian standards, Australian and New Zealand standards um, that dictate, you know, what are the allowable ranges for your, uh, for your design constraints. Mm. Yep. So once you know what the constraints are, um, algorithms get very, very good at, uh, you know, repetitiously churning out yep. various options and yep. finding the best one. Yeah. No, that's the interesting thing. And and even even what you meant about the whole empathy side of things and those roles going to be playing a pivotal role in how we work. It's it's interesting because even even in that movie scenario, going back to you know the Iron Man and Avengers, he still uses Jarvis to perform almost every one of the tasks back home or in his office, but he never actually allows Jarvis to go and interact with the other people, with the other third parties, with the, you know, the villains or their team members. It's literally carrying out tasks that you would otherwise spend hours and hours doing. So it's, um, I think the, what you're saying is absolutely spot on. Now, if we may actually go into how this changes within a specific role. So if we're looking at the designer, say the architect, the building designer, the industrial designer, or any other type, how do you see this changing the way they work? Because I know that in your presentation uh, where I heard you speak, you mentioned the algorithm where that already exists, the Mm. algorithm that spits out 20,000 code compliant designs. Mm. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, just on how the designer's role will change? Yeah, I mean, um, maybe maybe to give you an example of a real um, algorithm that I developed back in my previous business, 
uh, was around uh, airfield ground lighting for airports. Mm -hmm. um, and in that particular example, um, ordinarily uh, what would happen is you would have a designer who's responsible for the horizontal and vertical alignments uh, that are setting out uh, an airfield you know where does the runway go mm -hmm. um, where does the taxiway start you know where do you turn off the runway and the design of all of that is by um, by a bunch of civil engineers mm -hmm. who have specialties in that space and they understand you know what are the rules around particular different classes of runways and so forth um, so that job happens before an airfield ground lighting specialist comes in and starts setting out all their lighting because they need to know, you know, where's the runway before they can say where the lights are going to be, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and to be honest, that particular uh, activity is very, very rigorously um, sort of constrained by uh, a standard called MOS 139. Mm -hmm. um, and because we know all the rules, uh, for example, the spacing between the lights and how far apart they, you know, how, how far off the runway center line they need to be um, and sort of for different types of uh, runway and different types of taxiways, mm -hmm. um, we can apply a, um, an algorithm that would just, you know, take the output from the original civil engineers who did the layout um, and just feed that into our algorithm and it just automatically produces where all the lights need to be compliant right yeah yeah so that's a job that today um, would take a human two to three weeks depending on on the scale of the problem yeah um, you know, maybe even a week for a smaller airport uh, to set that up and then at the end of it you'll ask them the question well how many lights are there so we'll have to go back and actually count all of the thousands of lights that we've just placed over the last, wow. <laughs> over the last year. And, yeah. and, you know, it, seem, it seems humorous in, in retrospect when, you, when you're kind of listening to how this mm. works. But that is actually how it works. And so a graduate will be sitting there looking at the drawings, counting. And you know, wow. once you get past 100, the likelihood that you've got some errors is already probably not even mm. 100. The first 20, that graduate <laughs> is bored out of their brain. Right? Yep, yep. So errors galore. Yeah, um, and then you know possibly double counting, undercounting, and so forth. Um, so having written that algorithm, um, that job that takes two to three weeks is done in thirty seconds. Oh, Jesus! Um, it's not just done <laughs> in thirty seconds. The number of lights, the location, the rotation, the placement, the vertical elevation, the three D model placed in the right place, everything all done. So we're talking about moving from a situation where you've got. Uh, weeks of work just to place the lights and and to 30 seconds to place the lights, mm. count them all, produce all the schedules, produce all the drawings, output everything, full detail design in 30 seconds to a minute, right? Um, so where does the what does the engineer do now? Yep. That's your next question. Right? <laughs> yep. What does that person do? Mm. Well, that person has to retrain, has to retrain to to be able to drive the tool that's created, drive mm. the algorithm, modify it when the standards change, mm. right? It's not about, you know, letting it run and leaving it, verify the outputs, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we really need is, you know, at the, and there will be a transition from pure engineering, you know, math and sort of physics-based engineering into, okay, now we need a, a hybrid uh, capability, which is not just pure engineering, but mm. also a, a degree of sort of, um, uh, aptitude in software development mm -hmm. right? and transitioning to that point where you not only just know how to uh, you know do the engineering analysis you also know how to write the code to go and automate 
the next step. Mm. Um, and, and things will change. So you're going to have to continually evolve that solution yep. over time. Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's 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 really cool and really scary at the same time. And I'm sure there's you know students that are that are listening. They're going to be entering the industry in the next three years. It's almost going to feel like what they've learned today is redundant, which is which is a scary thought. And 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 if you're in the industry already, then not knowing anything about this stuff, then it also makes them even more worried. And this this is the reality that we're in right now. Well, actually, I'd say um, what you learn in university. Uh, uh, like the first principles that you learn in university will never be redundant. Yeah, um, it's what, the thinking behind it's, the application. Application of that into software. So mm. uh, when you go out of when you when you leave university and enter the real world, mm. right? And it's um, you know uh, you start training in all of these different products. Yeah, which and those products are meant to be doing what you've learned from first principles how to do, and within about two to three years you've forgotten first principles. Uh, you know a lot of that and yeah <laughs> now you've got a couple of back of the envelope calculations and we've got some uh some software that does the heavy lifting mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um because the problems that we face today are much greater and more difficult than when you're going to find it at a, in a, in a course. university course yeah even if it you know it's for the it's it's you know an applied course mm. right mm. but those first principles are what let you innovate it's it's being able to go back to first principles and saying Actually, you know, if only I could create a, a stress matrix so mm. I can figure out what all the stresses are going to be in this building, right? Um, well, I can go and use some software to do that, but that software is limited in its capability. It can only do one job, mm. but I need it to do that plus something else. Mm. So I've got to strip that back to first principles and then go and build a new solution. Yep. And, and that's where I think... Um, uh, firms and you know, individuals who are stuck in their ways mm. are going to find it inc- increasingly more difficult in the next 10 to 20 years to be stuck in their way. Yep. And the continuous professional development and education, lifetime education mm. uh, and learning is going to be critical to the you know the, anyone who's working in that business. And I think the beauty of what you're saying isn't just even in the AEC, it's actually applicable to anyone because we're talking about transferable skills here. Totally. So it's, it's I love that and, and the fact that if university students or even high school students can recognize the value that they're getting, the thinking, the first principle, foundational knowledge, and then move on to whatever that application might be, whatever the industry. And this is actually very similar to the questions I get asked going, yeah, hey, you're in education and consulting, but you are an architect. Why isn't, don't you feel like the university career was a waste? Absolutely not. And I tell them that every single time. It's the actual thinking behind it that allows me to apply it into this industry. So that's, that's I love that. Well, now, I, did, I did aerospace engineering yeah. and uh, have never applied that into into my day-to-day job. There sure, you go. in my, you know, my, my, my side hustle, there's mm. a little bit of that going on, but mm-hmm. in, in the day-to-day, there's no, there's no direct application to the aerospace industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the principles and everything that I learned through those courses, how to code, how to, you know, how to break problems down into pieces and, and solve each problem piece by piece, that is what's gonna you know, be relevant in the mm. next five to 10 years still. Yeah, yeah, and it's that it's that critical problem solving uh, 
skill that's been one of the most sought after skills at the moment and we were having this conversation with CSIRO and one of their mechatronics engineers who knows how to problem solve is one of their highest paid employees simply because he knows exactly what to do what you just outlined break up a big problem into small bits and just solve them even though he doesn't know how to he'll find a way he'll innovate he'll strip it back down to the base principles so I love that now how do you think you've touched base on how the designer's role and the engineer's role changes what do you think about the project manager and the builder how do how do you think their roles will be in the next 5 10 20 years yeah it's interesting the the builder and, and the project manager um, in in the next 5 to 10 years i think they need to become a lot more technology savvy mm -hmm. um you know, you're, uh, as a project manager, information is what you need day in, day out. Mm. You live by the information that comes in to make decisions about how to best manage the project, um, whether it's about risk or cost, mm -hmm. whether it's about people or schedule, you know, all those different aspects of project management all rely on external information. Um, in the course of a construction project, there is an inordinate amount of information that is generated through a project. Um, in more traditional delivery approaches, a lot of that is paper-based. Mm -hmm. um, even today, it still is. You know, sign-on registers still. Everyone's taking a pen. Um, mm. You know, signing their name in the morning to check in uh, <laughs> on a site, for example. Yeah. Um, but as as we move into the you know the next era of uh, construction um, and it becomes more important that project managers are um, not just re not reliant on specifically you know individuals to be able to give them the solution that you know that individual can do, mm. but to more set the strategy for how do we manage information on a project? How do I make sure that the time it takes for that information to flow from wherever it came from to mm -hmm. me is as short as possible, yep. as automated as possible, and how do I have the right an analytics uh, in place to actually make the right decisions when that information comes to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when it, you talk about things like health and safety reporting, uh, for example, it's too late a month later to be providing reports about HSE mm. issues. They need to be real-time happening as they happen, right? Mm. Um, and so it's it's really about um, project managers and construction managers and anyone who's in that managerial role who is making decisions mm -hmm. about setting the strategy early as to the information that they need to do their jobs right. But not just that, looking further into the future, because we, if we talk specifically about AEC, right, um, the, the vast majority of the costs associated with an asset mm -hmm. is not during design or construction. Mm -hmm. It's during the ownership and maintenance of that asset. Um, more than 80% of the costs of the lifetime costs of an asset is in operations and maintenance. So these are the people who are going to be handed over um, this thing that's now built or done or whatever, and they're going to have to maintain that going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, quite often what you see in, in today where, where you've got a, a BIM strategy in place is that we're trying to bring that um, we're trying to bring those requirements, those information requirements, forward into the design and construction process so we can capture the right information yep. at the right time yep. for them to be able to do their job. But at the same time, here's some complexity, also having the right information for the construction manager to do their job or the design manager to do their job. 
Um, and it's it's quite interesting because I, I think that uh, we're not there yet in mm -hmm. terms of the um, you know the technical uh, literacy for project managers in Australia. Um, we certainly have a long way to go to ensure that people understand what the platforms can do today and how they're relevant to your decision making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And I think this is this exactly brings me to that next question: is how can professionals right now? What what can they do? What advice do you have for them to? respond to this to evolve to change and i feel like you've already kind of touched based on it and i think this needs to be coming with a mindset change a huge mindset change but uh, in your opinion what do professionals right now what do they what can they do uh i mean the the primary thing that anyone can do really is um educate yourself yeah right um become less reliant on others uh read uh, a significant amount about technology mm -hmm. in your in your particular industry. Yeah, um, it's really interesting that uh, disruption for uh, the banking industry, as an example, um, hasn't been coming from the banking industry. Mm -hmm. It's coming from the tech industry, right? Mm. Um, so if you're one of one of the big four uh, in Australia, your concern isn't the other three. Mm. It's a little small fintech company that started up that's you know taking a small bite out of your lunch and the thousands of them that are actually joining in right so it's death by a thousand cuts yeah. right? <laughs> if you're um, if you're in the AEC industry you haven't felt that yet mm. but it's coming mm -hmm. and it's coming pretty quickly like we already see small businesses starting up in Brisbane and Sydney that I know of that are just pumping out like they have algorithms they'll just pump out a an automated design in in minutes right and now we're not talking about we're we're, we're shifting the conversation from um you know labor as a key metric you know mm -hmm. the billability and chargeability to outcomes based um sort of models for for a business so for people who are in there and in the middle of all of that um i think the first thing to do is recognize there is there is risk and opportunity right now for you and it will and it will continue to occur the risk is you do nothing and the opportunity is that there there's a lot of opportunity in this space to disrupt other people right so be the disruptor mm. right go and go and learn go online and take a course on python and learn how to do a little bit of basic coding mm. even if you're not going to code up you know the next you know you understand the solution yeah, yeah. Um, but you at least understand where where people are coming from um, the other thing that you know so, so software development capability will be will be important at understanding how how that works um, understanding databases understanding how data moves and flows between different platforms very critical to um, and then and then yeah even more if you you know if you're um, if you're into it, you know, jumping into just learning a bit about AI, uh, learning how to to write an image classifier, um, you know, or how to reuse something that someone else has already done. And there's a lot on GitHub, for example. You can just download um, projects that people have already done and run through tutorials and see how yeah. um, see how you can apply machine learning to your problem, or you know, um, you know, an auto regression model, or other ways of kind of predicting the future for example yeah. uh, for, 
yeah. for, for whatever you're doing yeah no i love that and and what do you think the universities and schools can do looking at because they're the they're the sectors that are going to be molding the job force that enters in the next five ten twenty years do you have advice for them on how they can prepare for this yeah i think i'd say that um first and foremost make it fun yeah make it fun if people aren't uh, entertained while they're learning it's incredibly difficult mm -hmm. as an adult and you have you know, and, and wanting to learn about um, anything right you have lots of different platforms online where you can go and sort of teach yourself you know whether it's brilliant.org or mm -hmm. you know, I'm not and I don't have any shares in any other companies <laughs> just so for, but you know examples of where you can continue education right yeah um, and then as an adult you get to choose the ones that resonate with you mm, mm. Um, because you choose with your money right true um, children and and you know university students and um, and whatnot they they don't have a choice they they get the curriculum that's put forward to them so you know they could they have extracurricular learning but when they're in the classroom that needs to be like stem needs to be fun you yeah know, those courses need, and and i'd say this also um me as a man sitting here uh, with a 12-month-old daughter who, you know, is incredibly inquisitive. Um, we also need to spend a lot more time getting it right for, for the young women who are coming through, um, you know, high school mm. and learning about STEM and mm -hmm. that it is a valid career. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, but also, I, I think what's really interesting about STEM is that you don't actually have to go into a career in STEM to be interested in it, mm -hmm. right? Um, you can still enter an entirely creative career, but having that sort of framework, that scientific method, mm. that knowledge of how to break down problems is just going to improve your life so much. Yep. Um, be able, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, should I take out this loan and what's the fin financial impact to me and my mm -hmm. family if I take out a loan versus, um, you know, what's the best color to, to paint this picture in? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's brilliantly said because STEM skills, I mean, consulting and education and training, but STEM skills are still valid and they're still part of the way we do things. So absolutely, 100% agree. And I think the fact that your daughter is um, seen as in that point of view, she's really lucky because women are more and more coming into STEM related job, jobs unlike the last five ten years so it's actually shifting a lot more in that scenario as well so she's very lucky she's very lucky to have you as a father <laughs> well and it's not just that i think like we've we've got the whole um sort of uh gender equality thing um with you know particular lens um and we're looking through it with a particular lens mm -hmm. i think just as important as it is for us to say that um, we should promote stan uh to women um, we should equally be promoting alternative careers to men, mm -hmm. right? It's not, it's not, but, and I would say it doesn't matter what career you take, um, having a found, like a, a grounding in the, the principles that sort of underlie the scientific methods that, that you see in STEM mm. um, and, and in math and so forth, that, that I think is relevant to everyone, right? But I think the more and more and more as we sort of move on into, and I'll go back to my first point about empathy, right? Mm -hmm. um, as AI starts to take on more and more of the things that we do throughout our day, what will what will we be left with mm. is our humanity, mm -hmm. and it is through empathy for others, 
and through uh, wanting to take care of and educate and um, assist others that that will truly get value in our lives mm. um, beyond what we do, you know, from nine to five or nine to six or whatever your working what working hours might be. Mm. Um, so. It's not. It's not just enough for us to promote STEM to, to women, but it's also to you know to promote um, early childcare to men and you know um, primary school education to men because pe- because the students there, as I said, like it needs to be fun, but also they need role models that aren't just you know that that aren't also um, uh, biased to, to one gender or another. Yeah. Um, and that gives them opportunities to see how life you know gives them role models i guess to look up to in 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 the future as well yeah yeah no well beautifully said man and and i think that i always like to end end my episodes with advice for students and graduates because i do get a lot of students at that tertiary level who's going to be in the industry in the next one to five years what's your advice for them in terms of you know artificial intelligence and how they can prepare themselves to be that disruptor try everything try everything um spend spend 30 hours doing a python course online mm-hmm. uh, even though it's not part of your course curriculum right uh, it doesn't matter how old you are mm. just just try it um don't just read about it too do it um learn through play learn through play um bec- and then and then teach someone else right um i can't remember where the quote came from but the best way to learn is obviously is to teach others absolutely right? to, and, yeah. and in doing so you quickly find where all of your where, where all the gaps are in your knowledge and then yeah. you're, you're you're more likely to be inspired to go and fill those gaps too yeah um so for young people who are listening yeah definitely um just you know whatever you're passionate about um just just try other things too don't just don't just focus on um uh, you know i love i love you know when I was younger, I loved painting, um, or actually um, pencil art. But as a as I grew up, that kind of transitioned into technical drawing, and that mm-hmm. then transitioned into engineering. Right. Um, so for me, actually, that passion for drawing translated directly into a future career. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was an evolution. But I tried. You know, I tried painting. I hated painting. I just tried everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I I did art at school, but I felt it was just too subjective. I needed. I personally needed structure, mm-hmm. and hence technical drawing mm-hmm. takes takes the uh, takes the win. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening, yeah, absolutely, try different things because if you are uh, af- afraid of trying new things, mm-hmm. then um, unfortunately you're just going to get overtaken yeah. by people who aren't afraid. And yeah, you're gonna fail, but that's okay. Yeah, you're you're young. Fail forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm. I won't say how old, old I am. But anyway, <laughs> I'm old enough to know that I still have a lot of failures left ahead of me. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm happy for that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mate, beautifully said, and uh, thank you so much for giving up your time. And I know I've taken personal, personally away a lot from this conversation that's going to influence how I um, train teachers and and students. So that's brilliant. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it for today, folks. So if you haven't already been inspired enough um, for yourselves, jump on to rashansenanaika.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes from today. Um, Make sure to follow um, what Alex is doing. Connect with him on LinkedIn and follow him on Twitter and Instagram on his name at better for today so it's been an amazing journey having a chat with uh, alex here so deep dive into what he's doing and learn through play 
lastly, before I leave, make sure to click subscribe and share your thoughts. And I'd love to share, hear your feedbacks on today's episode as well. And if you're really brave, you can share your love and share a review. So thanks so much. Till next time.